It's Friday, November 29th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Black Friday is here, and it's time to talk more about shopping. Are you an eco-shopper, an online convert, or a retro doorbuster? Sales are now starting before Thanksgiving, we have Small Business Saturday, and it extends all the way to Cyber Monday. And shopping patterns are diverging by age. Ray Smith, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about the generational divide in holiday shopping. Next, as the holidays are approaching, you have to be wary of scammers. One scam in particular that ramps up at the end of the year are gift card scams. People are posing as grandchildren, government officials, and tech support agents, and ask for payments through store gift cards. Gift cards are the choice of scammers because purchases can be made immediately and anonymously. Julie Jargon, family and tech correspondent at The Wall Street Journal, joins us with the story of how one family learned the hard way. Finally, as we buy more products online and want them delivered faster and faster, we have to take a look at those people fulfilling those orders. A recent report from The Atlantic and the Center for Investigative Reporting shows that ruthless quotas at Amazon's fulfillment centers are injuring workers at a rate of 9.6 serious injuries per 100 full-time workers. The industry average last year was four. My producer, Victor Wright, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Black Friday has evolved And so for some older people who've been through Black Friday and doorbuster sales, some of them have the attitude of been there, done that. Like, I don't want to do it again. Joining us now is Ray Smith, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you. Black Friday is here. It's the busiest shopping time of the year. And Black Friday for a long time had this stranglehold on the holiday shopping and people would go out to the stores and get all the doorbuster deals. Things have kind of changed more recently with the prominence of online shopping now. Ray, you wrote an article Mm -hmm. about the generational divide in holiday shopping. and You broke people Mm -hmm. up into three groups, the eco shopper, the online convert and the retro doorbuster. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about this, Ray. What we're seeing is definitely different generations approach Black Friday differently, and Black Friday has evolved. And so for some older people who've been through Black Friday and doorbuster sales, some of them have the attitude of been there, done that, like I don't want to do it again. They've just gone through so many and it's been diminishing returns year after year, whether the, the discounts aren't as great as they used to be, or it's so crowded and they see stories about trampling and parking lot fights and arguments. And also, it's just easier to get stuff online. And it's also not necessary to go out that day because they're seeing these deals advertised as early as right after Halloween. So a growing number of older people, and by that I just mean people who grew up in an era sort of before online shopping or growing up as online shopping was just beginning, are just fed up with Black Friday and don't think it's worth sort of going out for. So we've seen that. And that's a really big group of Generation X and above people that are converting to online shopping instead. Here's a quick interesting number to illustrate that. So Black Friday and the kind of over the weekend, really, people are expected to spend about $68 billion over that weekend. And right now, Black Friday specifically, just the Friday, will account for about 48% of all that money. That's down from 60% back in 2000. So in 20 years, it's still a major part. It's just about 50% of all of that. But it's kind of dwindled down a little bit because of the rise of all the other stuff, because of the online shopping and sales going on earlier and earlier and all of this stuff. 
let's get back to these classifications. Let's start with the eco shopper because this seems to be the younger generation working here. As some of them like to call themselves, they're woke, you know, that term woke. They're um, socially conscious and they really sort of believe in this idea of supporting brands that support causes they believe in, whether it be for um, LBGTQ rights or causes like the environment or sustainability. And they sort of say in a lot of surveys that they want to support brands that support these causes of theirs. And they're into transparency, like brands like Everlane that explain how their products are made and, and where they're sourced. One young woman I talked to, she's a college freshman. She took a class recently on climate change, and it basically changed her outlook on the way she shops forever. I mean, she, she sort of looked at it long term and said, I care about the environment. I'm worried about when I grow up and have children. I want them to have a clean environment. And so she's vowed from now on to shop more responsibly. She talked about she's going to be shopping locally in her college town for gifts or shopping at sites like Everlane. And she's basically an example of a younger consumer that's taking this really seriously. Now, some analysts will say, well, are they just saying that in surveys and are they actually following up by buying that? Because some of this stuff can get expensive. But from what I'm hearing, these young people seriously believe that they can make a difference this way. And with Twitter and cancel culture, brands need to pay attention when these young consumers speak out about a brand not doing right. Just a recent survey said 46% of millennials and 43% of Generation Z would support a retailer because they were transparent about the way they produce and what they sell. So that's kind of this eco shopper right here, prime age 18 to 35. We talked a little bit about the online converts and how people have kind of gotten disillusioned with the hustle and bustle of that Friday and how crazy it is. So these are our online converts right there. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. the OG people, though. The doorbusters, the people that still like to get out there and mix it up increasingly now on Thursday evening after dinner, maybe when a lot of the sales are starting and then hitting it hard on Friday also. A couple of things to say about them. Some of them are people who have just long done Black Friday shopping. It's been like a tradition for them or maybe their families, too. And they are people that genuinely get a rush out of that early morning caffeinated crowded (laughs) rush for a deal. So there's some people who really like that and it's become a tradition in their household and it's just something they look forward to. So that's them. And then there's also people who just feel like they're going to get the best deals on that day. They sort of target specifically what they want, what was advertised. And so they go in and they know specifically what they want. And sometimes they do get a really good deal and it's worth it for them. The family that I talked to, it's a mother and her 20-year-old son. The mother had been going Black Friday shopping back before before even stores started opening on Thanksgiving. So she was going Friday mornings. And she used to do it with her husband, and then he dropped out. And when he was old enough, she would take him along. And they've developed a strategy where he basically waits in line while she (laughs) continues to accumulate more and more stuff. And she told me that it shaves like hours out of the wait time because he's holding the line for her. But they talked about how much they enjoy it. It's a family tradition. And plus, they see it as bonding because the kid is in college now, and she doesn't get to see him as often. So they both see it as a bonding holiday tradition. Ray Smith, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It was too much money. Too much money for me to hand over to a stranger like that. I could have paid my taxes. I could have paid all these things were coming up. But to have lost that 
that amount of money just just for the sake of losing it. Joining us now is Julie Jargon, family and tech columnist for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thanks for having me. It's time to beware of the gift card scam as the holidays are getting closer. This is one of the scams that experts fear could be on the rise, but we are also getting increasing reports of this type of action. Basically, fraudsters are calling people, posing as grandchildren, government officials, tech support agents, and they're asking for payments in the form of store gift cards. That should already be a red flag, but there are people that are taken by this. Julie, tell us a little bit about this and then tell us a story that you feature in the article about a grandma who was scammed by this. This is a growing issue. The number of people who are reporting that they've lost money to scams and that they've paid with gift cards is really on the rise. And it's targeting everybody, not just elderly people. I talked to someone who works at a cybersecurity firm who received an email from what looked to be his boss. He saw it on his mobile phone. The person said that they needed him to buy $3,000 worth of Amazon gift cards for clients. It looked like a reasonable request, but this man had gone through training at his firm that if you ever get an email like that or a phone call, that it's best to follow up with a phone call to the actual person. So he called his boss. His boss said, no, that did not come from me. It was a spoofed email. That's kind of where it can get really tricky because a lot of times these scammers will spoof email addresses. So you receive a message that appears to have come from someone you know. But if you look at the actual domain name of the email, you can see it's not their actual email address. Right. And sometimes they but have just like one letter or a number changed so that it almost looks exactly like the real email. And that's how they get you. That's how they trick you. It can be very, very close. So the best solution always is to call the person and try to verify. What happened with this particular woman that I profiled in my story, 78-year-old woman, she received a phone call from a young man who she said sounded like her grandson. He said he was her grandson and that he had gotten arrested and he needed $4,000 to bail out of jail. And he needed it in the form of gift cards. So she went to her bank, withdrew $4,000 went straight to Walmart. And at first she was so flustered when she was at Walmart that she bought the wrong kind of card. She actually bought prepaid MasterCards. And that's not what the scammer wanted. He yeah. wanted gift cards that have a code on the back that you can scratch off. So she went back to her bank, went back to Walmart, bought Walmart gift cards. And this continued to go on a couple of times. And that's a key distinction too. Well, the scammer is obviously setting this up saying, hey, grandma, bail me out. I need $4,000 in gift cards. The other half of it was that he was constantly calling back to say, hey, did you get the cards yet? Do we have the cards? And when she said, I have these MasterCard ones, he even told her, no, those don't work. I need one specifically with the code on the back because then that way he can go online and simply use that code without ever having to have that physical card. I think this woman in particular, she ended up going back to her bank and pulling out $12,000 to do this. She did the MasterCard. She'd got 4000 in Walmart gift cards after, and then another 4000 in Walmart gift cards before her family finally caught on. And the reason why these scammers like gift cards is because it's so quick. Once they have that code, they can turn around and they can make purchases online. They don't need the physical card. They just need that code on the back. And so before the person even realizes they've been scammed, you know, they could go within minutes or hours if they, you know, inform a family member who's like, oh, you've, you've been scammed. That money can already have been spent. And in this particular case, people that were trying to help the family out after they found out what was going on, they provided them with tracking numbers and addresses where items had been shipped. They were being shipped to like warehouses in Portland, Oregon and Ontario, California, and they purchased 
a laptop, a desktop computer, baby formula, which is weird, and a camera, all these things that they can get instantly. And while they were checking some of this stuff, there was a balance on one of the cards. By the time they got back around to it, that balance had been gone. The daughter of this woman, she was on the phone with someone from Walmart who was trying to credit money back to these gift cards. Now, the scammers, of course, still had the code numbers, but someone at Walmart who was trying to be helpful was trying to give the money back onto the cards. Her mother was at an actual Walmart store talking to the customer service desk. She wanted to try to cash out that $650 that was on one of the cards and was told that you know, she couldn't get cash for it. So she stepped away, called her daughter. Her daughter advised her, just have that balance transferred to another card. By the time the mother got back to her customer service representative, that $650 had been spent again. So tell us a few tips that we can take away to try to outsmart the scammers. The key thing is if someone, especially if someone calls you and is asking for payment in any form, whether it's gift cards or a wire transfer or checks or whatever, just hang up. If the person is real and they really need your help, you're going to find out about it some other way. Just hang up because where they get people is the person is nervous and they're making rash decisions and they're not thinking it through. So the scammer wants to keep that person on the phone and get what they need. So I think once a person is able to just hang up and think through it, they probably will come to the conclusion that it's not a good idea to do this. So hang up. If someone is claiming to be a relative, a grandson, just again, hang up, call your actual grandson back. Now, the woman in this case did call her grandson and he didn't answer his cell phone. So that was convincing to her that he actually might have been in jail and didn't have access to his cell phone. But even in that situation, if you can't reach that person right away, call another trusted relative, call your sister, your brother, whatever, try to verify whether this story that's being told to you is even true. And what these scammers will do is they will beg you, don't tell my mom. They try to get you in your confidence because they know if you try to verify it, it's going to be discovered to be false. Right. So that's kind of a red flag right there. Julie Jargon, family and tech correspondent at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. In fact, we actually issued a, a letter of warning to Amazon because they really made some terrible mistakes and people who were very seriously hurt were treated very poorly. Joining me now is my producer, Victor Wright. Thank you for being here, Victor. Thank you. We're getting into the busiest season right now for Amazon. They call it the peak right now. This is the run-up to Black Friday. Amazon says it ships Prime members more than a billion items last holiday and this year, they are promising free one-day delivery for Prime members. We've been talking about Black Friday on the podcast for a few days now. It is just the peak season for deliveries and things like Cyber Monday. Obviously, these things are increasing. But there was an investigation done by The Atlantic and Reveal, who is part of the Center for Investigative Reporting. And they found out that the company's obsession with speed and churning out all these deliveries has really turned these warehouses into injury mills. They got injury records from 23 of Amazon's U.S. centers. They have like 110 across the state. But the incident rate of accidents there is 9.6 serious injuries per 100 full-time employees. The industry average for last year was four. So they are way up on those injuries. Victor, tell us a little bit about how Amazon has responded to this, and then we'll get into some details of what's going on. It's important to note that not only are they over double industry standard, but that's also a 10% chance that somebody's going to get hurt. So if you're one out of 10 people, you might be getting hurt in one of these places. There have been two contradicting stories that have been going on. First, Amazon says it's unfair because A, we're bringing in more workers 
due to the season and stuff like that. And B, the reason our injury reports are higher is because we are reporting literally every little thing that can be reported. However, that statement that Amazon released has been directly contradicted by Amazon workers who have been told, hey, you're hurt. Don't go to the doctor. Go to the break room and walk it off, like rub some dirt on it, basically. (laughs) And other people have been strong armed from going to press and government officials to speak out against this. What you're talking about there, in one case, there was a factory in Indiana where they wanted to be part of Amazon's HQ2 headquarters, the new headquarters that states were in a bid for. And there was a guy who had gotten injured with a forklift accident. He actually died there. And they basically wrote the reports up saying that it was his fault. But the investigator went there and they found out that it was because Amazon didn't really train him properly. He was doing maintenance on a forklift. The forks were up high. He was underneath it. And the forks basically fell on top of him and crushed him. That's how he died. There's supposed to be some type of pole that they use to hold it up. And they were asking around saying, hey, well, did he know that this was part of the process that he needed to hold the forks up with his pole? And they said, well, yeah, he didn't know because he wasn't trained properly. So behind the scenes, because they wanted to get HQ2, they told this investigator basically, hey, let's not put this in the report. And ultimately, the report said that it was the worker's fault himself. So it's just a kind of a horrible situation that way. This is Black Friday, and this is why this report is so important to come out at this time. So you're getting seasonal workers who aren't being trained properly, but also these workers are working 12 hour shifts. So the combination of not being trained and working to the bone lead to more accidents like this. In these reports, they detailed a woman. Her name was Candace Dixon, who had serious back injuries. She went to the doctor there, the Amazon approved doctor, and they basically said all of your injuries are due to this job, specifically because of this job. So just to paint a picture real quick, she's a stower. Her job was to stand in one spot on the floor and fill these merchandise racks. She had to scan basically an item every 11 seconds and put stuff in there. And then when you make an order, somebody goes to that rack, they pull the item and boom, 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 they push it out. So it's just kind of this never ending conveyor belt of work, basically. The Amazon Fulfillment Center where Candace Dixon worked, they actually were part of the Million Unit Club. They were got out a million packages out of the door in 24 hours, but she ended up getting injured there. She had back spasms, bulging discs in her back, and it was all because she had to constantly pick up heavy items, bend down and pick them up. And again, that repetitive motion of scanning one item every 11 seconds. She had to do like 100,000 different items that she had to end up scanning. So it's a grueling job. And we all know it with our voracious appetites for ordering things online and getting packages. And obviously, as a consumer, we want them really fast. We want our next day packages because maybe we waited to the last second or something. But these fulfillment centers are pretty grueling workplaces for a lot of people. Thank you, Victor. Thank you. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this 
was your daily dive.